it's so important just to have that solid network around you and just do what you say you're going to do. That is the number one thing, to be a trustworthy individual and somebody that people can lean on, people can rely on. And then if you can do all of that, you're going to have a really successful career. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer podcast series. Whether you're at school, sixth form, university, thinking about a career in law or exploring law careers, you're in the right place. We are the one-stop shop for student lawyers. If you'd like to join the Student Lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com. This episode is sponsored by the University of Law. The University of Law offers a range of undergraduate and postgraduate courses and master's degrees alongside an award-winning pro bono clinic so you can build up your legal experience while studying. And their experienced career service will enable you to put your best foot forward when launching your legal career. The courses are employment focused and based on real legal practice so you'll be better prepared for the workplace. Part-time and online study options are available so you can work and study at the same time. Click the link in the description box of the podcast to find out more about the courses on offer. Hello everyone and welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. My name is Stephanie, I'm a current law student, a future trainee solicitor and the host of today's episode. Joining me today is Charles Jeffrey, Director of Litigation Funding at Harbour, the largest privately owned dedicated litigation and arbitration funder in the world. During the episode, Charles explains what litigation financing is, who the clients are, and what to expect from a career in the profession. He also talks about a few of his most memorable and high-value cases and explains the logistics of such a case. Charles also provides exceptional advice for student lawyers, which include top tips on how to be a trusted advisor relationship building and networking. So without further ado, Charles, welcome to the Student Lawyer Podcast. It's just wonderful to have you here with us today. Hello, thank you guys. Pleasure to be here. Do you know what? I have been uh, really excited for this episode, not just because um, I've, of course, got lots of questions for you that I can't wait to ask, but second of all, because we've never had anybody from um, litigation finance before. So yeah, very excited for this episode and um, to be chatting to you. But I thought we could uh, kick off the interview by, well, just for um, by asking you to explain um, what your role at um, Harbour entails and, yeah, just introducing yourself, really. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, so I am a Director of Litigation Funding uh, here at Harbour. Harbour is the largest privately owned litigation funder worldwide, and we fund cases uh, in pretty much every jurisdiction worldwide. There are some areas, obviously, that we'd like to avoid, but uh, your key jurisdictions, and it being the UK, US, offshore, Asia, Australia, these are areas that we uh, focus on very heavily. And you know, what is litigation funding? What does Harbour do? Long story short is we pay bills. Um, we act for claimants. We work with them and their law firms to pay their legal bills. That is the long and short of it. Interesting. So um, you said that you you pay bills. 
I mean, who who are the clients that you um, work with and what kind of sectors do they operate in? I mean, whose bills are you paying? So it's it's really broad. And as the industry continues to develop and continues to change, so does the client base. So, you know, funding started within insolvency. And, you know, the clues in the name, you know, there was no money. So there were insolvent estates whereby there were claims that could be a debt, it could be a claim against the director, it could be a claim against a service provider, but the uh, insolvency practitioner would have no funds to bring the litigation. As we all know, lawyers are very expensive, expert witnesses are very expensive, um, AT insurance is very expensive. So bringing any form of claim requires capital, and within insolvent states, that capital simply was not there. And that is really where the need arose, where someone was to come in and would foot the bills for the lawyers, the insurances, the court costs, the experts. Everything was wrapped up and the litigation finance or the funder would you know, bear the risk. And they're injecting a lot of capital to run these cases in return for a share of the proceeds should they be successful. Now, funding is developed vastly you know since then 10 20 30 years ago and we are now seeing a lot of work coming from large corporates multi-billion dollar corporates household names who you know have vast legal budgets but often spend a lot of that legal budget defending claims not actually bringing claims so we work a lot now with you know CFOs and GCs at these large corporates in order to bring claims on their behalf as well. I'd really love to ask how or if this crazy um, inflation is infected is affecting um, clients' ability to um, receive um, uh, funding um, from the banks or whatever, or um, yeah, if that has really increased your business or i mean has it it has it has absolutely and especially kind of in a post-pandemic world where you know there is a restriction on people's budgets and capital and you know again with inflation the hourly rate of these firms is you know is increasing and it is becoming more and more expensive to bring litigation Mm. so we are seeing a rise in uh cases coming to us uh, seeking capital and it touches on what i said before of these large corporates who maybe now are thinking is this the best way to spend our legal budget to bring a claim which uh, as we all know if we lose you know, we, we've got nothing other than a big hole in our account where we we spent all this money is it better to use somebody else's capital in return to give up a slice of the pie at the back end you know, in order to de-risk our, our position. And you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's, it's far cheaper to get lending from a bank. And we say, well, that's correct. It is. A bank may charge you, you know, three, four, five percent, six percent interest. However, the bank does not understand litigation risk. They may, you know, for their security, charge a debenture over your whole firm, for example. Whereas we as the funder, that is not something we do. By bringing litigation with our own capital, we bear that risk. And if the case were to lose, then that is something that we have to bear the brunt of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like a really interesting uh, profession and way to um, 
uh, like work in the legal sector. But um, why is it that you um, specifically chose to pursue a career in um, litigation financing and subsequently then to work closely within within the insolvency market? Um, well, I know we no timesheets. I think is uh, is a very key part of, of joining a funder um it's a very different lifestyle as well um you know we we have various new joiners um who've joined you know started the harbor quite recently and they one of the things they've said is is the sheer lifestyle difference you know you tend to come in at nine you tend to leave at six you know you can leave your laptop at home uh, sorry at, at your desk in theory because there's nothing that's going to crop up that's too urgent between you know you going home and you coming back to work which is very different to you know being in private practice where you are quite often working late hours and there's you know a lot to do so we're seeing quite a rise in you know cvs that are coming quite often people who've got you know young families or are looking to relocate maybe slightly further out of london uh, and will have a bit of a commute it's very much um it's, it's a very different dynamic. And what I really enjoy about it is the ability to see so many different types of case. Because as, as a fund, Harbour in particular, you know, we cover all areas of litigation with the exception of personal injury and matrimonial. So whilst I personally specialise and, and look after insolvency and, and offshore work, that isn't you know, restrictive. I can look at a US mass tort. I can look at a US, you know, IP or patent matter. I can work on a construction claim in you know the Middle East or Asia or an MPL portfolio. It, you know, every, every day is different, and that is what you don't get in private practice. Which you know that ability to be yourself a little bit more uh, and have a bit more freedom, and as well as the ability to you know go out and meet people and win work and go to breakfasts and lunches and drinks and network and, and not feel, oh my God, I've got to go back to my desk because I've got to draft this document by six o'clock, otherwise the partner's going to shout at me. You know, that doesn't really happen in, in funding. And it's a very different way of life compared to you know a typical legal role, should we say? Yeah, it, it sounds um, it sounds to me like it, it's a lot less uh, maybe stressful. Although I'm sure that you have um, stressful elements in you know uh, your work. I mean, what business doesn't? Um, but yeah, when I've spoken to lawyers that work in private practice before, and I've spoken about a work life balance, um, people have always talked about it's not really a work life balance. It's more. Um, integrating both into the other you know making it work but it does sound to me um right working at an institute like harbour you are able to kind of draw a line and have that distinction between the both which you know so many people want and um so rightly should have if they want um no I, I agree and I think you know what is the best way to have you know to have your staff and team perform at the highest level and that is for them to be happy it is for them to enjoy what they do and to have a work-life balance you know i don't think anybody at harbour really is sat at the weekends on their laptop not enjoying themselves you know if they want to go and have dinner on a friday night with their partner you know you want to be able to do that and not keep looking at your phone mm, and yeah that is what really helps us thrive as a firm is that everybody enjoys being here and i can 
pretty safely vouch for everybody when I say that. You know, we're a very happy dynamic, um, and people enjoy coming to work. And and if you know, for some reason, you know, of course, as you say, every job is stressful. You know, there are deals that need to be done, and we have you know targets that we want to hit, but we work together as a team to do that. Yeah, and we have such a strong support network here. Um, whether that be from the CEO or CIO right down to you know the the, the more junior roles, you know, there's no such thing as a stupid question, and it just helps promote that that environment that we have here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds like you you have an amazing culture that people love to come into work at you know nine o'clock, but then they also love to leave at six o'clock. So you've got that balance there, just fantastic. Um, so I was wondering if you could please talk to us about one of your most noteworthy or most memorable cases, because I know that they know they're not always the same, um, that you've worked on in the past. And also, am I um, saying that correctly? Do you call it a case or do you call it a claim? We call it a case. Uh, or it could be anything. I suppose it depends who you talk to. It could be a case, a claim, a matter, a deal. Um, but I suppose we want to know what we're talking about. But yeah, the, the most... Notable case. I mean, I, I've worked on some of the most high-profile and public insolvency cases, in particular, um, worldwide in recent years. So uh, I'm just trying to be careful of what's confidential and what's not. But um, a lot of the big retail ones I, I, I've worked on and had very good successes in. I think one case that will always stand out is a case that we did here at Harbour, and it was during the pandemic against the um, various insurers for the business interruption claims. Now, insurers were, in short, not paying out to thousands of businesses, small businesses, and for being closed during the pandemic. And Harbour, working closely um, with a, a London law firm, brought an action and successfully recovered over uh, a billion pounds, which was then payable uh, to all of these small businesses who were you know, at the brink of going bust as a result of not being paid by their insurers. And it was very much, I think, what we call a feel-good case um, because, you know, a lot of what we do, you know, we're suing banks, we're suing, you know, large corporates or entities. Um, it doesn't necessarily have the same impact as, as helping all of these small businesses. And it was it was a real, as I say, feel-good case and, and it made a lot of people very happy. And I think that's something that's really key for us and there aren't many cases like that about um the pandemic was such a a unique thing and and we are now still continuing to see you know cases coming to us of a similar nature where people are looking to bring claims against their insurer as a result of losses incurred during the pandemic and if if we can help them out then then great we'd love to do that yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love hearing stories like that when you're really using your powers for good. And I think that sometimes when people talk about, you know, insurers not paying back um, out and um, and businesses, you know, going under, small businesses, medium-sized businesses, I mean, even, you know, large businesses as well, when they go under, I think that um, it's easy to forget that people lose jobs and, you know, it, it creates such a knock-on effect in the economy and, um yeah, I mean, which is a reason why I love to see um, really successful restructuring and insolvency cases because, you know, you can, um, it's got such a, a tangible outcome. I don't know if that's correct, but, you know, it, it, that feel good. You are right. And it's one of the reasons why I really enjoy working in insolvency because, you know, you are 
acting on behalf of creditors who have lost sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, that can be single investors. Uh, it could be, you know, a middle-aged lady in, 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 her, in her house, or it could be a large bank who's lost. But by bringing certain actions against certain individuals or entities, you're able to recover money on behalf of the insolvent estate, which can then go to repaying individuals who've lost out. You know, that's a, that's a great thing to be able to do. Uh, and you know, who wouldn't want to help people well, you know, when you can't do that? Exactly. I mean, I felt so sorry for the... Um, uh, suppliers to misguided, you know, during the summer when misguided shut down, and all those um, small businesses that, you know, just weren't able to get paid. So, yeah, we're seeing it a lot in the retail sector. Um, I know and we're seeing it now again in, in the crypto sector. You know, you're looking at of course. what's happened in, in the most recent days of you know, individuals losing tens of thousands, you know, losing their life savings. And I, you know, I don't doubt for a moment that the liquidators who've been appointed over these various um bad actor companies will be investigating and looking at potential claims that can be brought in order to try and recover funds you know on behalf of these people that have lost in some cases everything so you know i, I hope that they will land on my desk um <laughs> but uh we, we'll, we'll wait and see on that one. yeah yeah um i mean it is very sad, very sad, but I'm sure they'll harbour the right people to, you know, sort it out and um, get what's owed for as much as possible to these um, victims, I suppose. So would you be able to explain the logistics of um, litigation finance? Like, how how does it all work? I, I never like to be one to mansplain things or, or dumb it down, but let, I, I think I, I will for the purposes of this. So, so let's say hypothetically that you personally were going to sue uh, Apple for a hundred million dollars. You know, in order to bring that, you know, we tend to work on a ten to one ratio. A hundred million dollar claim, you're going to be seeking an approximately ten million dollar budget. So that will cover your legal fees, court costs, counsel any insurances. Harbour will work with you and your chosen law firm, and we will put up that $10 million. We will then continue to work with yourself and the law firm to bring that claim. It's very key, as, as the funder, we have no control of the litigation. We cannot dictate what can and can't happen. We we do have to sit back and 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 feed money from behind, effectively. We can't dictate what you can and can't do. But let's say we will, you know, every month that you receive your invoice from your uh, lawyer, we will pay that invoice and we will work with you until, you know, in an ideal world, we get a settlement. Everyone wants to avoid court where they can. Going to court is very expensive. And uh, regardless of whatever advice you get from whatever counsel, as soon as you walk into that courtroom, your cases become a 50-50, maybe a 51-49. Now, someone will have a very small, slightly better chance than the other. But, you know, witnesses crumble. Judge can not like you. Anything can happen. And you can you can lose. So you know we we like to settle cases, but that doesn't always happen. We're actually in trial on one of our cases at the moment. Um, but you know if we get a successful settlement, let's say for argument's sake, eighty million dollars, we would have had a pre-agreed uh, fee with you as the claimant as to how much we would charge. That is typically a, a multiple of our investment, or it can be a percentage of damages. Could be the greater of. Um, or you could have said, no, I want to charge 25%, 40%, 50%, 
for example. Uh, and then we will you know, take our fee. The rest of the money will go to you. And then we will you know, go on to the, the next case. That is the, the, the very mansplained version of it, I suppose. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so what happens if I don't get any payout from Apple? Well, and what do you mean in terms of if you if you if they win didn't, a call? If I didn't, wasn't awarded any um, any settlement, any any not even one pound out of a hundred million. Like then, then we as a fund have to write off the the ten million dollars that we've invested. Um, okay. It is it is what we provide is non recourse lending. So, I would have to you know, sit down with my case managers and my chief investment officer and say look we're really sorry but you know that 10 million dollars we're never going to see it again it is it is as simple as that we we bear all of the financial risk when working on cases and and, and we're teaming up with you on cases so you know, it's one of the reasons why we're very selective on yeah. what we decide to fund you know, i would say we fund less than three percent of what actually comes through our door we're very, very picky, um, and quite rightly, because we are typically dealing with very large budgets. You know, as a, as a fund, our average budget is thirteen million dollars, so we're dealing typically with very big cases, and you know, we can do all of the due diligence in the world. We have um, one of the best investment committees, I think, globally, uh, with three very senior KCs, our two founders, uh, and our chief investment officer. Everyone can agree that it's a good case person who's put the case in again thinks this is great it's going to win but cases do lose and and i think any funder that is serious in this market will know what it is like to lose uh, and if you go around the room and say well we've never lost we have a 100 percent track record i would sit there and question well are you taking enough risk mm. because you can't help it if a case loses. No, nobody plans on it losing uh, it's a tough thing to do, and it's it's a lot of money to write off, and we have to work with our investors when that happens. But it does happen, uh, and we're not afraid to say that we've lost on you know, numerous occasions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really good to know. Thank you. I'd like to take a moment to speak about the University of Law, which is the university I decided to study my LPC at. The University of Law is the sponsor of this podcast and makes it possible for us to continue bringing these episodes to you. So we really appreciate you supporting us by supporting our sponsors. What really sets the University of Law apart from other universities is its belief in training students for the real world from the moment they accept a place. The University of Law's experienced career service and award-winning pro bono clinics offer students the chance to get real-life legal experience which can boost employability. They offer a range of undergraduate and postgraduate legal training and master's degrees designed by qualified experts to help students excel at any stage of their career. Their courses are employment focused, honing key skills in a teaching environment based on real legal practice. Part-time and online study options are also available on many of their courses to help students work and study at the same time. If you'd like to find out more about the courses on offer, please click the link in the description box of the podcast. So you mentioned that uh, when, you know, the client gets sent the invoice from the law firm, you know, you pay straight away. Is that how you work with law firms? Or is there any other way that you have a relationship with them? 
it is. So it's, well, typically, you know, the law firm will send us us the invoice and we we will pay it. Um, but one thing we are doing more and more of now is uh, these law firm facility style arrangements. Um, one that we've done that we can talk about, you know, is public knowledge is uh, a deal with Mishkondorea. That is a $150 million, sorry, $200 million, $150 million pound facility whereby they can use that money working with their clients in order to bring forward litigation. So we're, we're working with them in, in as many different ways as possible. And more and more law firms are now adopting this portfolio and facility style approach. So, and it's not just Harvard that's doing it, you know, other, other funders are doing it because as as a law firm, it's a fantastic, you know, it's a business development opportunity, particularly say in insolvency. If you gear up with an insolvency law firm, they have a nice big facility. They can then go to their insolvency practitioner clients and say, we can do this work on effectively a DBA because, you know, we have this facility that's going to pay the fees. So the insolvency practitioner and the creditors are sat there going, well, this is great because we can run this case completely risk-free. And that is, you know, one of the key market trends. Trends, and I think it's going to be a future of litigation in general. Is, is law yeah. firms having these facilities, and when we're seeing them now, you know, even with you know, insurers, you know, aftermarket, sorry, after the event, insurers are now doing these kind of facilities. There's a very uh, successful one between Stewarts and Gallagher's, and is having huge success, and it's a fantastic BD tool, as I say. So that. Law firms come to us all the time with different ideas, different you know, arrangements. You know, what, can we try this? Can we try that? Portfolios have always been uh, a strong area for us. Firms saying that we have four or five cases. You know, we kind of want to bunch them together uh, and run them in that way. Yeah, great. Um, that means that we can spread our risk a little bit further because if you've got five cases, three are really good, one's a bit meh, one's pretty poor. We can say, well, look, let's run these three good ones seriously. Let's try and drive these other two to a settlement. We get a nice you know, bit of spread risk. Our investors like it. Our investment committee likes it. And it means that the law firm and those clients can you know, bring their litigation forward. Yeah, yeah. So how is it that Harbour or you know, litigation finance um, uh, companies how is it that they make a profit? Would you mind explaining that? Yeah. So, I mean, again, every every fund is is different. So, you know, we as a firm, we have uh, five flagship funds. We also have uh, some uh, side vehicle funds, you know, which are in combined in value of nearly $2 billion. You know, we charge a management fee on those. And then when we are successful in the litigation and we charge our success fee, which whether that's be a, a multiple of our investment or a percentage of the damages, that then comes back into our fund. We, as a firm, take a share of that, and obviously, uh, as do our investors. Thank you for explaining that. Um, now, this is one of my favourite questions to ask because um, I've been asked it, you know, a fair few times in interviews before. So I know it's one that always comes up. Um, and also, I I really love the uh, response that I usually get from it. Um, so here goes. How do you win um, new business and maintain strong relationships with existing clients? I mean, how, how do you maintain relationships? I think the number one thing is you you do what you say you're going to do. 
I think that is the key. You know, you have to be honest and open uh, with your clients. And, you know, I've been sent work before that I think is rubbish. And I will tell them this is rubbish. <laughs> if I think a case is really good and I want to run it, you know, I would I will run it. You've got to, as I say, as I would personally say, is, you know, be a man of your word and, and and stick with your handshake, so to speak. That is a key to maintaining relationships. In terms of you know winning work, networking is everything. And and I don't mean standing in a room at a conference and drinking coffee. You know, you've got to make relationships, and it, it it starts when you're training. It starts when you're a junior, because the people that you're making friends with now are the people that are going to feed your work in 5, 10, 15, 20 years time. And I have that now. A lot of my key relationships are people that I was training with years and years ago. And, you know, they were accountants, they were bankers, they were wealth managers, they were tax advisors. Try and make as many friends as possible. Um, You know, the key to being a good lawyer or being a successful individual in the legal world is not your ability to read a textbook. It is how you deal with people, how you manage people. And we say to as many people, particularly those who are starting out, those who are training, is go and make friends. Make as many friends as possible because that is your future. You know, if you want to make partner at a big firm, at any firm, it's going to be, you know, you've got to be able to bring in that work. You have to have the contacts. You have to have the address book. So it's something that I can't stress enough to anybody who's trying to get into any legal role is to make relationships. And, you know, whether that's standing outside the pub, drinking a pint of ale on a rainy Friday, or whether that's going for breakfast with people or whether it's going to events, go out and meet people and try and target people that are you know a similar age to you and a similar role to you they're probably not going to serve you much benefit in a business sense now but you stay in regular contact you keep seeing them regularly whether it's once a month once a quarter once a year and you're friendly and you're personable they are the people that will feed you your work in the future that is that is the key majority of my work now as i say comes from the same people that i've known for years and years it's very rare now do i meet new people and all of a sudden work starts come comes flying in of course that happens you know wherever you go you're going to meet new people if you're in a different country or a different uh conference or wherever you know you'll bump into people or you get introduced to people but the the key bulk of my work as i say is this is i can count them on two hands as to where all my work comes from can you see why I like uh, the answer to this question? It's all about, you know, doing the job to, you know, the most highest standard and following through with what you're going to do, um, always being there for the client. And then also, you know, go out, chat to people, make friends, have a glass of wine, coffee, stand outside the pub, or if it's, you know, like today, definitely inside. Um, exactly. And you have to remember whatever role you're doing, there is going to be a, a time you're going to be at a stage where you are going to be in the trenches with that person. A case has gone wrong. Something's happened. And you're going to look at each other across the room and go, what do we do now? And if you don't like that person or you don't trust that person or you have a big argument, you fall out, it all goes wrong. Yeah, I, I, And I wouldn't work with somebody 
if I thought that that was the case, because as I touched upon earlier, cases do go wrong, things go south, and you want to be able to have a grown-up discussion. What are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this mess? Or ultimately, if we can't get out of this mess, we've got to shake hands, move on, and agree that we'll make it up on the next one. And if you can't do that, then I don't think you should be working with those kind of people. Yeah, absolutely. And when you literally just said growing up discussions, um, it reminded me something that you said, you know, at the start of answering these questions where you said um, being honest, you know, about what you're going to do. And I was at a talk the other day about um, that was focused on clients at the core. Um, and one of the panellists was a client to this law firm and she was saying that she really values you know, the partners or associates that say look I won't be able to, we won't be able to get this piece of work back to you by this date but we have it by this date and that's what she wants she doesn't want somebody that says oh okay you know I'll, I'll get it through to you in two days time when it's an unrealistic um unrealistic dead time and then, you know, ultimately the deadline gets missed and then, you know, they've got um, stakeholders that they're responsible for. So, um, yeah, I think it, it's, it really um, says something about being able to follow through on your um, promises. Commitment. Oh, exactly. And, and and being a yes man or a yes woman gets you nowhere um, at all. And n- no one thinks bad of you for saying no. If you say, I can't do that, I'm, I've got too much on at the moment, or I don't think we're going to be able to get that done in time. Nobody nobody thinks, oh, my God, what a terrible person. I'm never going to work with them again. They normally respect your honesty and value that you've said no, um, because if there's no point in saying, yeah, yeah, I'll get it done to you by close of play Friday, and you end up sending them a half job or something that isn't done properly or mistakes have made. Um and likewise, you know, you want to be able to ask stupid questions. Um, I was on a call yesterday with counsel and I, I kind of said, this is a really stupid question and you're going to think I'm an idiot. But, and they, they said, it doesn't, you know, that's not a stupid question. If you don't know the answer, you should say so. And, and you shouldn't be embarrassed to, to do that either. Um, no, nobody's perfect. I'm not a KC. I, do, I know I'm, I can't profess in everything. And even the top KCs will profess to not knowing everything. So you shouldn't be afraid to just say, I need some help on this, or please, can you advise me on this? Or ultimately, I can't do that. Please, can you ask somebody else? Absolutely. I I mean, thank you for sharing that. I think that is um, exceptional advice for people to um, take away with them. So what career opportunities are available at Harbour for young professionals who are interested in a career at litigation, litigation finance? Yeah, so um, I, I think Harbour is still the only litigation funder that offers a training contract. Amazing. As far as I'm aware, that hasn't been done by the funders. And, you know, we have uh, trained and have some fantastic lawyers who have grown up, you know, with, with funding in mind. And one of which uh, actually sits behind me is an incredibly um, technical individual and he's a, a real, real asset to our team. So uh, I don't know the current status of on what's going on with the training contracts because that, that sits in, in our case management team. 
but you know we've had um, very recently uh, a couple of interns coming in who are just shadowing you know, some like to work with our finance team uh, understanding how you know, the, the the actual fund management side works because we also offer training contracts for um accountants and uh, we have others that want to shadow our case management team you know, understanding how cases are ran how they're being you know, processed the day-to-day life of running a case uh, and others that want to shadow kind of the more origination team what it's like to go out and, and win work and meet people and getting involved in as i say the, the more front office side of the business well fantastic opportunities and um, i will put links to the website and if there's a page um, that people can check out about these opportunities um as i said i'll put the links in the show notes for people to check that out yeah absolutely um, just um or, or by all means you know, drop me uh, an email um i'm always happy to uh, speak to people give them 5 10 15 20 minutes or even an hour if they want to meet for a coffee and just try and help steer them in the right direction or provide any advice where I can that's not a problem. excellent thank you um so you, you know we've been talking about working with law firms and um winning new business um and maintaining new clients but I really love to ask when you are working with law firms and um you know organizing financing who are you typically liaising with um yeah, like tell me, tell me about the the details of that. Yeah, so it it goes to a bit of a bit of a it rolls downhill, should I say? So, you know, me personally, I tend to deal with either the C suite or the partner level. You know, it, it is it's the partner that's going to sign, you know, the paperwork. So we tend to um, you know start there um, by having those initial conversations. You know, they may say, "I have this particular case that I want to talk to about you about," and We'll spend quite a bit of time dealing with a partner. But once we actually get into running the case and, and we're invested in the case, it comes down kind of a tier. And that's where we start dealing with the associates. And that can be at the junior level or, or at a senior level. Those who are dealing with the day-to-day management of the case. And like as I say, we have a case management team here at Harbour as well, uh, which is a team of very, very talented associates, typically all from private practice. Interestingly, some of whom are now working with former partners on cases. Um, so again, it just ties into having those really good relationships and knowing people in the, in the market. But we tend to find that as it comes down to uh, a, a lower level in that kind of associate space. And interestingly, you know, we're actually hosting an event with a London boutique law firm uh, in December, which is designed purely for kind of that associate level um this one does have a bit of a insolvency and asset recovery theme to it i mean everybody's welcome of course but it's it's helping to get all these people talking and a lot of the times you know, when we're going out and we're going to the meet you know, the, the law firms or the clients it tends to be the partner that comes along so one thing we're really looking forward to at this event is actually putting you know, faces to the names of these uh, the associates that we don't tend to uh, meet up with as often but you tend to find when you go to a lot of networking events, you look at things like um, Radar. Radar is a fantastic uh, networking event. They host events, I think, every other month or so. And that's very, very associate-led. You, know, you still get partners turning up, but quite often the partners look a bit like mom and dad. You know, They're the older people kind of overseeing what's going on, but it's, it's kind of very associate-led. Um, and they're always really, really, really good fun. Uh, so I would encourage anybody to try and get to a Radar event where they can. 
Amazing. I'll also put a link to that in the show notes as well, so people can check out the website. Um, so when you are working with partners, associates on, you know, these cases, um, what in well, what are the top qualities of a solicitor, do you think? What should what should people be aspiring to um to become? Very open is key, very honest as well as I think very really important. And it comes down to what we were saying earlier. You know, do what you say you're going to do. If you, if you say, look, I'm going to get you this by five o'clock on Friday, do it by five o'clock on Friday. Um, obviously, it goes without saying to be meticulous in your work, to take pride and care in your work, you know, even if it's little things like checking for spelling mistakes. You know, That image goes a long way. And as long as you're very open, you want to communicate, you want the case to succeed. It sounds an obvious one, but you know you actually believe in what you're doing. You believe in the case. You want the best outcome for your client. That's what we like to see. Um, you haven't got to be the brightest bulb, you know, in the chandelier. That's that's not important. It's about people and being a being a good person, as as simple as that sounds, and being a nice person. We get every now and then a really you know, short or frank or blunt email. And you think, do, do, do I really want to reply, you know, have a great weekend to something like that? Probably no, of course you don't. You, you know, you, you just just be nice, be honest, be open, be fair, be understanding and, and be willing to learn. You know, I, I'm, I'm learning every day. You know, and I've been doing this job for a while. And you, know, you would hope that everybody's got that same mentality. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think a, a running theme that um, I've noticed when speaking to guests is, you know, as exactly what you've just been talking about, um, building a strong reputation. Um, and I think it, it's so important to be, you know, um, the best person, the best version of yourself um, and put 110% into everything that you do, you know, to ensure that you don't even have those tiny spelling mistakes and, um, and making sure that your work is top quality because, yeah, I mean, you don't want that, you know, as you were saying just a second ago, one short email that's not, you know, like you normally to um, – to drag down your reputation, especially if it's um, that you know that short emails to somebody that you have not spoken to in the past, but you're just having not a great day. Um, I mean, it's hard, I suppose, to always um, give one hundred and ten percent, but it's just yeah, it seems to be very a very important thing to do in order to build a solid and trusted reputation. Absolutely. And, you know, in a market that is as competitive as the legal market, people work with who they like um, and who they want to work with. So always just keep keep that in mind. And again, it comes down to being in the trenches with one another. If things go wrong and you know, you're not a nice person, it's going to be even worse when the case is lost or, you know, the smoking gun is pointing at us. Something, if something crops up, you want to be able to work with those who you like and who you can trust. So that is really, really important. Yeah, you must get such a buzz when you get a client uh, requesting to work with you. Um, 
Yeah. Hopefully I'll have that feeling one day. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the next uh, no, I don't want that one. Uh, it's 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 a double edged sword. Um <laughs> you know, you can have a desk that's sky high in paperwork and then you know a good case comes along and that's where you really value your team and the people around you because you know you, you can't do it all you can't know it all so uh no, it, it is a great buzz um uh, in particular you know when you're presenting to our investment committee you know the easiest way to picture it in your head is like dragon's den you know, you're walking in with these very very senior people sat with the almost basically the money next to them and you're saying you know i would like $20 million, please, to run this case. And they are you know, going to decide whether you can or can't run it effectively. Uh, and it's such a buzz. And when you come out of there uh, and you've been successful and, you know, you've got a, a thumbs up all around from everybody, you know, for me, it's it's absolutely straight to the pub um, and phoning the client and saying, look, meet me at the red line in Mayfair at six o'clock. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, our investment committee sits down every two weeks. It's always on a Wednesday. So um, if, if you, you can often find me in there, either really happy or really sad. Uh, I was going to say, everybody head down to the red line on a Wednesday at six o'clock, Charles and I. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> as we're coming to the end of the interview now, unfortunately, um, I really wanted to ask, uh, do you have any final words of wisdom to share with me and the student lawyer listeners? I mean, how long have you got? I think the the most important thing I can and really can't stress this enough is you know, so the, being a good lawyer is not your ability to read a textbook. It is not your ability to draft particulars. It is how you handle people. It is how your network looks. Go and make as many friends as possible in all sectors of law, accountancy, banking, tax. Get to know people, get to know people your age, go for a drink, go for a coffee, go for a bottle of wine, go for a night out, whatever it is. Get to know these people because they are the ones that are going to feed your work. Likewise, with the people you're training with right now, the people that you're in uni with, you're all going to go off and do different things. You're going to work in different jurisdictions and different service areas. There are times where you're going to want to call upon those people. So, so important just to have that solid network around you and just. Do what you say you're going to do. That is the number one thing. Be a trustworthy individual and somebody that people can lean on, people can rely on. And then if you can do all of that, you're going to have a really successful career. Thank you ever so much for sharing that. And thank you for you know coming onto the Student Lawyer podcast and talking about what it's like to be a director at um, well, a litigation fund and also talking about you know experiences that you've encountered with people in private practice as well. I think it's been a really fantastic episode um, getting the um, advice and views about so many different things and so many different experiences that people can um have the opportunity to go off and explore um I think that you have really um well open or I know that you open my eyes as well to what is out there what um what job opportunities there are under the legal profession because so many times you know at university there's that question so what route are you going to take the solicitor route or the barrister route and it's not like that so yeah thank you so much for coming on and really talking to us and and inspiring uh, so many student lawyers no it's fine thank you for having me um 
I think what you guys are doing is great. So uh, if anybody has any questions, you know, please you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn or um, you know, you'll be able to find my email address on the website, uh, etc. So uh, do reach out. I'm always happy to have a coffee, a chat or whatever it may be with people to try and guide them in the right direction. Excellent. I'll meet you at the Red Lion at 6 o'clock on Wednesday. Red Lion, 6 o'clock on a Wednesday. You can normally find me Excellent. there. <laughs> and thank you um, for tuning in to another episode of the Student Lawyer Podcast and we'll see you back again here next time. To hear more of the Student Lawyers Podcast, hit the subscribe button and leave us a star rating and review. If you would like to join the student lawyer as a writer, please email hello at thestudentlawyer.com.